Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 160, I am joined by Nick Elam, Assistant Professor of Educational Leadership at Ball State University and the creator of the Elam Ending, a new basketball format. Nick is a career-long educator. He prepares aspiring school leaders to serve in the field. He's previously served as a school principal and a math teacher. Along the way, Nick has served in a variety of roles in the sports world. In 2007, Nick devised a new format for basketball where the final portion of the game will be played without a game clock as a way to preserve a more natural and exciting style of play. After years of researching and promoting his idea, the Elam ending was finally implemented for the first time by the basketball tournament in 2017. Since then, the Elam ending has grown rapidly throughout the basketball world, being implemented at the NBA All-Star Game, Canadian Elite Basketball League, and dozens of grassroots level leagues and events. Dr. Elam has shared his research and story in over 300 outlets and it's our honor and privilege to have him here today on the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Playing in the 2020 NBA All-Star game, what does LeBron James think of your idea? The exact wording he used was, it was fun as hell, uh, which I think... Nick, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Great to be with you. Nick, I think some of the bravest things that we can do as speakers is share our ideas with the world. After playing in the 2020 NBA All-Star game, what does LeBron James think of your idea? Uh, I think the exact wording he used was, it was fun as hell, uh, which I think that's about the best endorsement you can get. Tell us about the spirit of the idea. Sure. So, so that it would have that appeal of being cool, but also the way it started was uh, more on a, a technical side of the nuts and bolts and to be sound. But uh, I think the best kind of innovations are ones that are sound and cool. And that's what I believe the Elam ending to be. And that's what I think the rest of the basketball world is starting to see now. So uh, I'm not sure how familiar your audience is with the Elam ending, but uh, the idea is that you would play most of a basketball game with a clock and you'd play the last part of the game without a clock. And that simple change, what it does is it maintains and preserves a more natural and exciting style of play all the way through the end of the game. It gets rid of a lot of the clock manipulating strategies that we see at the end of the game, the overbearing influence that the clock has. And it really just gets back to more uh, real assertive basketball that we enjoy uh, and allows games to end in a, in a more exciting fashion. It's amazing. I think you know some of the uh, biggest barriers to change, particularly in the corporate world, is just that's just the way that we've always done things. And and like in such establishments like the NBA, the NFL, even the Premier League here, it's like that's the way it's always done. Don't mess with the tradition. Like, how did you develop the audacity, or even just the perspective to go, hey, we could do things differently here? Well, one thing that I've in all of my messaging throughout the years and trying to promote this idea and get it off the ground, one thing that I've, I've tried to uh, 
make clear up front is that I really do love the game of basketball. I think, and I think the game of basketball is a great sport and I think there's a way to make it even greater. So it's not like I'm coming from it from a detractor standpoint or, or anything like that. Um, and so you mentioned that, you know, the way that things have always been done, uh, the way, uh, you know, tradition, things like that. And so basketball, of course, has always been governed by time. Uh, and I think when James Naismith in, invented the sport in, in 1891, I think he was right to govern the sport by time because when basket in basketball's infancy, it was a very low scoring sport, uh, kind of similar to sports like soccer or American football or ice hockey, field hockey, lacrosse, you go way down the line. And most of sports that use a clock have that uh, common characteristic that they are low scoring, that they are truly dependent on a clock because they don't have any other um, feet that, that can be used in place of a clock. But for many, many years, the scoring rate in basketball has increased dramatically. It's, it's distinct from the scoring rate in other timed-based sports and so basketball realistically could uh distance itself from its clock and use points in place of a clock and that's that's the idea of the elam ending and again so you mentioned you know the way that things have always been done there was a reason that that basketball used a clock when it was first invented but that reason no longer holds now that the scoring rate is so different hey my friends thank you for watching so far if you're enjoying what you're watching please do subscribe to our channel and considering sharing this with someone that you love. I also wanted to let you know we've got some incredible merchandise available. We've got tees, we've got hoodies, we've got trucker caps, and our beanies are really popular at the moment. For a great way to show that you're part of this community and that we are always better than yesterday, head to our website. You can check it out in the show notes. And let's get back to the interview. What do you think made it fun for LeBron then in the in the final quarter of of the uh, the NBA fixture or the All Star fixture? Yeah, so uh, I mean, when you uh, when you get to the late stages of a basketball game, what you have is well, I mean, let's I guess let's take it back to the early stages of a, of any basketball game. What you have are you know ten players on the court all focused on the action on the court, trying to score, trying to defend, you know, all their energy and all their focus is right there on the court. Then you start getting to the late stages of a basketball game when there's a clock around and now their attention is diverted a little bit. They, they're sure some of their attention's on what's going on in the court, but then a part of it is also what's going on with the clock and how can they manipulate it to their advantage. And now, now the style isn't quite as assertive uh, you know, the, the actions aren't quite as sure and certain as they were. But when you get rid of the clock, now you're able to keep that focus and that attention and that assertiveness all on the court all the way through the end of the game. And I think that's fun for players. I think that's fun for coaches. I think that's fun for broadcasters and fans, uh, any onlookers. I think that's fun for officials, too, who are officiating the game that all your attention and all the action is right there on the court. You don't have to worry about any electronic third party interfering. And, uh, you know, let's just see who's the better basketball team. It's interesting, isn't it? Because even in the Premier League here in England, you get, you know, players that are trying time waste. They'll get like yellow cards if they're time wasting. You'll get the, uh, you know, the NFL, they'll, they'll just take a knee. And I guess in basketball, what, they're intentional fouls and, and all sorts of stuff going on. Sure. Yeah. You, you get to a stage of the game where you are so desperate to stop the clock. If you're trailing, 
that you are willing to overtly violate the rules by committing a foul because you're so desperate to stop the clock. You're willing to uh, hand away one or two free points to your opponent uh, you know, as a trade-off for, for stopping the clock. And what that does is it takes away a lot of the suspense of the end of a basketball game. In, in my research, uh, which consists of thousands of games, uh, looking at how prevalent and how effective that fouling strategy is, uh, it was really striking to me to see that when a team has to resort to that fouling strategy at the end of a game, they only come back and win the game about 1% of the time. Uh, so not only is it kind of an unsightly and a boring strategy, but it, it doesn't work. And yet it's still the best option that a team has. It's the best and only option a team has with the time, uh, as long as the clock is around. But you get rid of that clock, and now they're still at a disadvantage for sure if they're trailing. But as long as they can prevent the opponent from scoring, as long as they can continue to score themselves, then they're still in the game. And we've seen some incredible comebacks under the Elam ending, uh, whether it is at the, the NBA All-Star game or whether it's a TBT, the basketball tournament, which is another prominent tournament here in the United States that was the first to adopt the Elam ending. Uh, it, it really adds not only just a pure style of play, but it truly adds suspense to the end of the game. Love that. And, uh, you know, majority of my listeners will be leaders in some form, developing, aspiring or, or leading in, in their own right. And, and, and I want to cut, you know, through this in terms of seeing the applications to leadership here. I mean, here you are challenging an institution to do something differently. That takes great influence, great leadership, great articulation of an idea. But the thing I really want to highlight right now is that I know that this idea took some time to become real. How long ago did you have this idea? So I remember the day. I remember the day that the light bulb went on. It was March 10th, 2007. I was watching a, a game uh, on my couch, and it was a game like so many I had seen before. It wasn't an especially uh, unique game, but it was like so many we had seen before where it's this really intense competitive game. There's so much life in the arena. It's a pretty close game. And then you get to the late stages of the game, what should be the most exciting style or the most exciting stage of the game. And all of the air just leaves the arena. Uh, you start seeing people head to the exits, uh, you know, in a, in a relatively close game, uh, you know, all the athleticism is, is gone. And now it's just, uh, teams pacing back and forth to the free throw line and you know I'm just sitting there thinking you know, what, what what is going on here why why does the game change so much uh, late in the game and, and frankly to an inferior brand of basketball and all these different phenomena that we see whether it is that intentional fouling strategy whether it is the stalling by the leading team whether it's these rushed and sloppy possessions that we see whether it is uh, games that, you know, again, where slim deficits just seem impossible to overcome, uh, just big games and good games that fade out with a whimper. All these different phenomena are attributable to the game clock in some way. And so that's when I started to think, well, what if you just got rid of the clock at the end of a basketball game? How would that affect things? And even then, uh, you know, I was skeptical myself. I thought, okay, well, there must be some flaw that I'm overlooking here. So when I started to explore this idea, it was kind of just out of intellectual uh, curiosity, trying to figure out what is the flaw. But then as the weeks and the months went on, when I really uh, took a deep dive and researched and explored this idea, I, I was convinced that the idea really had merit, that it did have the potential to be, well, first that it, that it was a necessary idea, but that it had the potential to be a sound and cool idea. 
And then, then the challenge started, the real challenge started of trying to convince others that the idea had merit. Would you describe yourself as a patient guy? Uh, I guess a good kind of patient. I mean, I will, I will do, uh, I'll do everything I can that in my power to try to move an idea forward or try to uh, better my life or, or if I can, the lives of others, I'll do as much as I can that's in my own power, but with also with the understanding that I don't control everything either, that uh, in a lot of ways, it's going to come down to the approval of others or the, uh, you know, the, the uh, collaboration of others. So it's, it's that, it's try, finding that right balance of proactiveness and patience. Yeah. Nearly what, 14 years. Like what would you say if were some of the kind of prominent moments along the journey that you, you really think were, I guess, some of your stepping stones? Yeah. So that spring and summer of 2007, again, this, this was all consuming as far as my free time went. Uh, I just couldn't shake this idea. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my brain because again i was trying to figure out what, what's wrong with it and then i really started to embrace it and then it's like okay now i need to game plan for how i'm going to convince people in the basketball world to to implement it or at least generate discussion about it uh so certainly by the end of the summer of 2007 when i had uh created and developed a, a book essentially hundreds of pages uh laying out my argument and and uh tables and charts and artifacts, uh, you know, again, laying out my argument that I was going to send out to people in the basketball world. That was a breakthrough. Um, in 2013, there was another breakthrough where uh, for the first time there, well, I should say uh, 2011 and then kind of going into 2013, there were different opportunities that I had to write about the idea where it was on someone else's site. So something that had a gatekeeper, someone was allowing me to write about the idea and share my idea on their site or their blog site, uh, things like that. So that was a breakthrough. Um, different, I mean, it, really it was, it was exciting to me. And again, this goes back to 2007 when I did make that connection to, well, why do some sports use a clock? Why do others not? What, you know what what sets basketball apart and I drew I, I do truly think that basketball is unique that it's the only sport that can use this concept where it's part-timed and part untimed uh that mm -hmm. was that was an exciting moment an exciting discovery and then uh certainly the the really big breakthrough was leading into 2017 when TBT the basketball tournament you know again after years of me reaching out to people in the basketball world they said they were really intrigued by this idea. And then that led to them implementing the idea. Um, they only did it on an experimental basis in 2017. There was no guarantee that it was gonna live on beyond that first weekend in, the June, in June of 2017. But again, it was, and everyone was seeing this for the first time, players, coaches, the, the tournament organizers, broadcasters, officials, sponsors, everybody and across the board it, it got great reviews and so they brought it back in 2018 and there's been no no looking back since then and then when I got a call in January of 2020 from uh, people in the NBA league office who I've been reaching out to again for many years all of it being one-way communication not, not knowing really where the discussion goes after I leave my ideas at the doorstep uh, but when they called me in January of 2020 to say uh, they told me a few things. They, they thanked me for my passion for the game and my innovative ideas. They, I was surprised by their candor and that they acknowledged that the late game product did need to be addressed and improved. 
they said that in their discussions with the Players Association that, that uh, the players, including President Chris Paul, uh, was really saw a lot of merit in this idea of an untimed finish to the game and that they were going to implement the idea in the NBA All-Star game and send me and a guest all expenses paid to Chicago to see it in person. That was, uh, that was a, a phone call I'll never forget, and it led to uh, a weekend I'll never forget where I actually got to see it play out in person. Yeah, I've just been watching some of the highlights of that game. Like, uh, man, I can watch it as an interested person, but just to imagine that that is your idea, you know, that <laughs> I guess that's only rivaled by seeing your child in a show or something like, what was it like to see your idea after 14 years be played out by some of the best players in the world? Well, it was, it was 90 plus percent excitement and being, um, you know, confident in my idea that it was going to shine and that people were going to like it. There was a small, small percentage of nervousness that some, some, something disastrous was going to happen where people were going to hate it, but that, that didn't happen. Uh, And, and I, I, I was there just in the moment, just enjoying the moment. Uh, it was later on that I went back afterward to see kind of what the reception was on social media, things like that. And easily 90% plus of the feedback on Twitter was positive feedback, which is really striking for, for a brand new idea and a sport that's has such ingrained fans. And, uh, you know, someone once told me it would, it would be hard to get 90% of the people on Twitter to say nice things about puppy dogs and free beer and free ice cream. Yeah. So for, for that many people to have uh, positive things to say about this brand new basketball idea was really telling. Yeah, it's powerful. Were there moments in the 14 years you thought, sod it, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to give up? Uh, I don't think I ever got to the point where I, that's a great question. I don't think I ever got to the point where I was ready to give up. I, I did have many moments where I thought it was a real long shot that this was ever going to get off the ground, but I tried to position this project in my life in a certain way that I would never feel ridiculous for pursuing it. Uh, even though it did take up a lot of my free time, I never let it overshadow any family commitments, any any social uh, opportunities or relationships, any any career opportunities uh, or commitments, things like that. So I never I never let it uh, take up too much of my life. And then the other part was I just never there was never a true dead end. I I, I always was thinking of some way to just inch this forward, even just tiptoe forward. Uh, this this project. And even though when I was reaching out to people, you know, many people wouldn't reply, or if they did, they would just kind of politely tell me that they they didn't embrace the idea. Still, it was more of just kind of what you said, that, that pe- sometimes people don't like to, the thought of change. And, you know, my message all along is that I'm not trying to change basketball. Try- in fact, I'm trying to do the opposite, where I'm trying to preserve a more natural and exciting style of play. Uh, I'm really trying to do the opposite of change basketball. But then also, you know, again, those who who didn't like the idea, they couldn't, they couldn't, or they wouldn't tell me why it wouldn't work. It was more a matter of taste that they didn't like it. And so, you know, if someone had, if someone had pointed out to me, Hey, well, here's a flaw, you know, a coach is going to do this or that um, that's going to kind of blow up the whole idea. Then I'd be like, okay, like uh, that's a great counter argument. Um, I think you got me and all right, I'll, I'll move on to something else. But 
but no one was able to point out a flaw and still to this day uh, no one's able to point out like a fatal flaw of why it won't work and so that's why to this day i i, I uh think of ways to try to move this project forward it's so um powerful you know it's just what you just said there about taste is that it's not for everybody but your persistence and your belief and your passion for the idea all it takes is for the touch you know touched uh just a ripple effect on and and um for someone to give it a go for someone to go hey this this guy might be onto something and all it takes is that one well, and that's why that's why I'll always be grateful to John Mugar, who is the founder and CEO of TBT, the basketball tournament. Again, the first ones to implement the Elamini. They they were the ones who had something to lose by implementing it. I mean, they were this they were an event that was had started in 2014, so they had had a few years and they were growing year by year. Uh, they already had their own positive momentum that they were building. So for them to take a risk on this idea. Um, was really meaningful to me because I didn't have anything to lose from them implementing it. So, uh, but they've always seen themselves as a trendsetter in basketball. And again, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to look back and say that this is uh, a trend that eventually became the norm, the, the standard of play uh, in the sport of basketball. That's powerful. And, and um, you know, some of the ways that you, you've spoken about preparing your your hypothesis, shall we say, and your research and your evidence, like people wouldn't be surprised to hear that you're a professor. That's right. I am a professor of educational leadership at Ball State University in Indiana. And so I work with graduate students. They're pursuing their master's degree or their doctorate, um, hoping to go on to become a school principal or a school uh, superintendent, a school administrator of some, of some kind. And that stems from my own background as a school principal myself, and then before that as a uh, as a high school math teacher. So I'm so a career long educator. Yes, I love that. I think it's such a great responsibility to make a difference in the lives of young human beings, particularly. You know, I think leadership is probably the one of the greatest ways with which you can do that. What's your perspective on leadership? How would you simply define it, as, if you could? Well, the uh, that's why I love being on this podcast because I know that the themes of leadership and love are very uh, important to you. And I think that that's so important for a leader. You have to love the people who you serve. So there's a couple of key words there. Love is one, but then uh, serve is the other. What you will realize quickly, if, if you, if you have uh, misconceptions going into a leadership position, you're, you're quickly going to realize that when you do assume that leadership position, you are, you are kind of the ultimate servant and for the organization that you lead um, and servant leadership is something that I really believe in and um, you know it could be very humbling so uh, so I, I believe in leading by example uh, servant leadership and again you have to even though you might not always agree with the people who you lead uh, you do have to love them uh, in order to be a good leader. What is the greatest uh, thing being a principal has given you in your perspective in life? So I, I tell people I, I haven't learned all of life's lessons, but all the ones that I have learned came from my time as, as a school principal. Uh, it really did. I, I, there, there's, not, there's just nothing, no other experience that I've had that's been as challenging and as fulfilling as that time as a school principal. And uh, I look back on it very fondly and um yeah it's it's um 
humbling in the in the best ways, I guess. And um, it's 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 something that I love to discuss. Just everything from the day to day logistics and and decisions like that up to the kind of the big picture and the the emotional aspect of it. It's something I love sharing with my current students, again, who are, are going on to become school principals and school leaders. So uh, it's an experience unlike any other, for sure. How do you equip people to be leaders? I mean, it's a really tough time to lead, you know, whether it be kind of mental health, whether it be mental and emotional resilience, whether it be um some of the challenges going on in the world and social media and like how do you equip people these days well so i, I really try to convey that the, the idea of balance and, and balance, mm -hmm. you can apply that to, to just about any aspect of leadership i think balance is really important but then uh you talked about the the uh, mental health aspect of it so what my first year as a school principal um, I didn't have an assistant principal, and that was in part based on the size of the school. Now, going into my second year, there was there was a change in, and, and at the time I was in the state of Ohio, and there was a change in the policy of how teachers needed to be evaluated. It was going to be a much more intensive process uh, that was going to require a lot more manpower. Uh, out of that, I was able to... Um, convince my supervisors to, to create an assistant principal position. Well, what that did, I mean, I, I didn't know how much I was struggling from a mental side that first year when I didn't have an assistant principal until, until that second year and the years mm -hmm. beyond when I did have the assistant principal. And I just, it took so much. I mean, it, it, it was, a life-changing experience. It truly was uh, to have a confidant like that, just someone to bounce ideas off of, someone that you can kind of quietly admit mistakes to. Mm. And, and, you know, of course, there are times where, you know, if, if you make a bad decision that affects a lot of people, then you have to get up and, and uh, take responsibility for that. But uh, and, but that's always, I actually, I, I never minded that. If I if I knew that I made a bad decision and every leader, you know, that you're going to make a bad call every now and then yep. I have no problem getting up and, uh, you know, admitting that people are going to love, people love you when you do that as a leader, yep. um, where the real stress comes as a, as a principal or any leader are those decisions where you're, you're not sure if you got it right or wrong. You, that's what keeps you up at night. That's what stresses you out. But to get back to kind of the mental side of it, uh, just having that, assistant principal kind of having a confidant, someone to share responsibilities with a little bit uh, made me realize, wow, that first year, my rookie year, when I when I didn't have that support, um, I was really struggling and, and really felt like I was on an island. So that's another thing. If there's a way to create that that small inner circle, that circle of trust, uh, whether it's whether it is colleagues, whether it is uh, just someone in your family, whatever it is, you need someone uh, to be able to to share kind of the struggles with, um, or otherwise you're 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 really going to feel alone, and you're really going to uh, struggle from that mental side. Yeah, powerful, powerful advice. And you know, it can be a lonely journey, isn't it? You know, taking that position of leadership and the responsibility, and 
you know, the accountability and sacrifice and uh, yeah, it can be a terribly lonely place. So having someone in your corner is very, very powerful. Nick, I'm really grateful for you taking time out of your day. I've really loved hearing uh, your idea and how it's come to fruition and your heart for leadership. Um, where can people connect with you? How can they find out more about you? Yeah, so maybe the best place is through uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Elam Ending and my DMs are open. They can reach out to me anytime. That's amazing. What does the phrase always better than yesterday mean to you? Um, I love this phrase because one thing I would impart on my students most of the time is that was my who I was sharing this message with uh, students a lot of times would get caught up with comparing themselves to their fellow students that's how they would define success in their mind was how how they were doing um, relative to their classmates and what I would try to try to tell them was you know don't don't define success or failure based on comparing yourself to your your classmates compare yourself compare yourself today to what you were yesterday and that that's what you need to compare and how you need to define success are you better today are you happier today than you were yesterday and if so then today's a great day and now let's figure out how we can be happier and and, and more successful tomorrow compared to what you are today that needs to be your uh your perspective your gauge yeah, I, I imagine a world, you know, if that was the mindset and the heart set of, of many young people, we would, um, yeah, we would see a lot more young people uh, thriving, I, I would think, you know, caught up in that comparison trap is, uh, is a very difficult place to be. Nick, grateful for your time. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Be honoured if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Yeah, so I, I, I think anyone, if you are not sure if you want to take on a leadership position, um, I encourage you to do it. Now, first, I encourage you to talk to, I would say at least three people, talk to at least three people who are currently leaders or have served in leadership positions and, and just listen to them about the, the realities of the position, how they got there, the great things, the not so great things. And you'll take away two things from this. One is you'll take away some of the similar messages that you hear from these leaders and you'll start to think, oh, there's a, there's a little bit of a pattern here and that's a pattern that you probably need to be prepared for. The other thing that you'll take away is how different some of their answers will be. And, and you'll realize, okay, there are some parts of leadership that are really kind of a one of a kind experience or, or more unique to that person, uh, might be a, a, an opportunity for you to kind of develop your own leadership style and approach. Um, so again, talk to leaders, before you take that plunge into a leadership position, really listen to the similar messages, really listen to what is distinct from the people you talk to. Great advice. Nick, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thanks so much. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing 
your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.